0: God led us to Estes Park. I'm unlike most of you in that I fought coming to Estes Park (laughs) wasn't my plan to be in a mountain town. Although when God called me into ministry, fascinating enough, I was uh, a forestry student at Northern Arizona University. And uh, the summer of my freshman year, um, my life had been transformed by Christ through a series of madness, love to tell you about. And uh, I took a job at a YMCA in Oracle, Arizona, called Triangle Y Ranch Camp. And uh, m- my cabin, I was called Lips because I played the bugle at seven in the morning. <laughs> Music is in me, I wake everybody up, so they called me Lips. And uh, we were cabin of the week, different kids every week, eight out of the ten weeks. Uh, The directors recognized Christ in my life. They gave me a chapel so I could preach Christ (laughs) as a young believer, and kids were coming to Jesus. It's true. And the camp director told me he'd never had a summer where parents were calling him after a week and saying, can my son come back because he wants to be in somebody's cabin called Lips. (laughs) And so God showed me there that he didn't want me working with trees in the mountains, but he wanted me to be working with people. And so isn't it cool that I get to minister here in Estes Park? I mean, doesn't that kind of fit for you? Yeah, some of you are grateful to have, you have me here, and that's, that's cool. The rest of you I'm not so sure about, and that's okay too. Yeah. Well, Daniel chapter 6, my personal goal is to set my eyes on Jesus no matter what. Setting my face like flint. Somebody spoke a word into me back in August, preparing me for a series of events that were about to happen in my life, and uh, told me I need to set my face like Flint. He had no idea what I'd be going through over these last several months, and it's causing me to question everything I am, my motivations, my heart. I'm being refined. I'm in the lion's den in a very real way. And at the close today, um, I was prompted during the singing, we have prayer partners who are going to be up here, ready to pray with you. And down here at the close, uh, we don't have the banner there because we're directing you both places right now until we get the other banner. I'm going to be the first one down there today and ask for prayer in this lion's den. And so if you're prompted, come with me, either place. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to set my eyes on Jesus no matter what. Today we come to the end of the first half of our study of the book of Daniel. Next week we're going to move from the narrative form, very easy flow of writing, to a part that tends to confuse us a little bit. It's the prophetic, eschatological, eschatology, study of final things, study of the last days. It's going to stretch me. It might even create some questions among us as to, you know, how we all process this information. I do not claim to be an expert at all. I, I, I don't claim to be the smartest scholar out there, okay? I just gave my life to Jesus, and suddenly here I am preaching to people about Jesus, okay? So, so I don't want to argue with, you know, this or that or understandings and stuff, but did you hear Jesus? Please don't condemn me if I miss it. I know the teacher's going to be judged twice more critically many times more critically, okay, but hear my heart, I'm just about Jesus, and other than that, I have nothing else to give you, but I think it's going to be an exciting time, it's going to be a challenging time, and so I hope you'll be praying, believing God will use it in a mighty way. Whenever there's been a revival, there's been an increased awareness that the coming of God is at hand, okay, so (laughs) this is very, very important stuff. Yeah, so what better way to end our first half of the study than today to come to probably one of the most familiar Bible stories of all times, Daniel and the lions' den. And I'll bet, I'll bet for most of you in the room today, this is one of your most familiar Bible stories from childhood. I just have a hunch. In fact, I have a hunch that some of you actually saw the story presented on flannel graph, right? Some of you even taught it on flannel graph, right? Yeah, state-of-the-art technology of the 1920s, right? That took the church until well into the 80s to figure out there's other ways of communicating, right? Flannel graph, yeah, right. Probably some of you are guests here that were in a church last week, and you saw something presented on flannel graph. (laughs) Well, my apologies. The king liked Daniel, because he could count on him. But the king's men were jealous and searched Daniel's life for sin. Daniel had no sin, so they made it wrong to pray. Of course they caught young Daniel, for he prayed three times a day. we the lions in the den. But Daniel wasn't afraid. Growl! Roared the lions in the den, but Daniel had already prayed. Growl! Roared the lions in the den, but Daniel wasn't afraid. Growl! Roared the lions in the den, but Daniel had already prayed. <laughs> oh, you can! That wasn't why I did that. I was blown away last week that nobody knew that song except for me. This week, anybody remember that song? some do oh cool yeah yeah I'll bet it was 1980 okay I had never been to a vacation Bible school my entire childhood but all of a sudden the word of God came alive in my spirit and I'm teaching leading vacation Bible school yeah that group didn't know what to do with me one of those first years because here's this Italian that came to Jesus right we're gonna be here a while if I keep going like this it's okay Yeah, so anyway, uh, this Italian comes to Jesus. They don't know what to do with me. I don't know that they've seen very many people who actually come to Jesus. And I said, tell you what, let me be in charge of the contest. And they're like, huh? Well, okay. And I said, but you can't see it until VBS, right? So I came up with this great contest. You know what it consisted of? Now we're talking conservative Christian people, In this little church in Tucson, I presented, I unveiled the VVS contest, which consisted of a horse race track and a roulette wheel. (laughs) They were so kind, they were so so gracious. We got through VVS, and the next year they said, Mikey, you have so many skills. How about we have somebody else do our contest this year? <laughs> that is honest to God truth. Oh boy, I need some water. <laughs> yeah, people do come to Jesus. My life was changed. Pete still says, I don't know why you say tell people I've influenced you to Christ such a mess by it back then. And I'm like, Pete, aren't you glad God's bigger than you? Yeah. And my message to the church, God wants to use you to make a difference in somebody else's life. Yeah, that's what God put in my heart. I want you to notice in chapter 6 that we have a new king here. It's Nebuchadnezzar. Or wait, no, sorry. We have a new king. Nebuchadnezzar's long been dead. We saw that last week. Actually, last week we saw... One of his grandsons, Belshazzar, who was now on the throne after a series of four kings that had served in that position. But if you'll recall, in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this giant statue, and and the giant statue had a head of gold, Uh, it had it had arms and chests of silver, it had uh, thighs and a belly of bronze, and legs that were iron. The feet were a mix of clay. And iron. And what this was, was a, history, a picture of history, much of which has already happened. The, the piece that hasn't yet happened is the piece of the small stone that's going to hit the giant in the feet and annihilate the giant. And that's a picture of Jesus conquering all the kingdoms of the world. And this becomes more significant as we proceed now in, in Daniel. Because each of these sections of this giant statue represent a, a different kingdom, a different world empire that now has, has come and it's gone. So it's been fulfilled. And, and for this reason, there are many scholars who want to say that the book of Daniel isn't nearly as old as people want to say it is, because there's no way anybody could have known how history would have played out the way that Daniel did. Well, yeah, yeah there is. God knows. And God told Daniel, and this is what makes all this so amazing. And so the silver arms, the chest and arms of silver represented, you'll remember from chapter 2, this inferior kingdom that would conquer Babylon. So today, in verse 1, we meet a Mede named Darius. Okay, now you could say it uh, Darius, you could say it Darius, any of those pronunciations uh, work correctly. In fact, I might be a little inconsistent in how I, I say it. But uh, Darius was probably appointed by a more significant figure in history, Cyrus the Great, who was the Persian leader. Now, this is a guy who was literally prophesied by name, by Isaiah, many years previous. This is how amazing and specific scriptures get. And so now we we meet this this, uh, Mede by the name of Darius, the Persians are going to begin to give the Jews a great deal more freedom. And this becomes hugely important because what that means is they're going to allow the Jews to return home and begin to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls, and the temple. And guess what? All of this sets the stage for the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was to be born in Bethlehem. It's just fascinating. It's just playing out all according to God's plan. Now, in verse 1, we see here that Daniel is immediately recognized for his leadership. Darius appoints 120 men into positions as leaders, and then he appoints three to administrate all of this. One of those three is Daniel, but again, Daniel stands out. So Darius had in mind to put Daniel over the entire kingdom, okay? Second in command, but Daniel would have freedom to act and to move on Darius's behalf. Now, what's that do to the other leaders? It creates jealousy, right? And and so this is what happens. Immediately, these other leaders are trying to find fault with with Daniel. They're trying to find some sort of uh, corruption, some sort of scandal, does that sound anything like the American political system to you? <laughs> yeah, just run for office and they'll find any garbage they can to make you look terrible. It's a sad thing. And this is what's going on here. Well, unlike most of our politicians today, and in fact, all of them, Daniel's pretty unique. Daniel was 100% clean. So we get over to verse 4. We, find, we read there that he's absolutely trustworthy. He's neither corrupt nor is he negligent in his Duties. So these guys have to find something against them. They can't let him become ruler over the kingdom. So they say, ah, here's an idea. Let's look at his faith in God and let's outlaw something that has to do with his faith. Ah, I've got it. Let's make it illegal to pray. That's it, right? Well, they bring their idea to Darius, they they lie to him. It's a conspiracy. They're representing these 120 leaders, the three administrators. The problem is, is the key figure hasn't had a chance to participate in the discussion. So they've got a plan. The main guy's excluded. They deceive the king into thinking that they've all come to this conclusion, right? So this is their proposal. They say, this is verse 7. We propose that you issue an edict that anyone who prays to any god or human being... During the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, because the kings back then were thought to be uh, deities, they shall be thrown into a den of lions. Well, Darius liked the idea. I mean, he had enough ego to, to embrace it, enough there. But also, come on, he's a new king in a former Babylonian region. And wouldn't this idea begin to build loyalty? After all, it would only be for 30 days, just a short time. I mean, who could argue, argue with that? But once he put it in writing, according to the law of the Medes and Persons, he could never take it back. All right, so now let's pick up some more of our text. Verse 10, Daniel 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days... Anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel... (laughs) Little sneaky little narcs. (laughs) Daniel... Who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, your majesty. Or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He's feeling personally responsible. He's feeling bad about his decisions. Has the ego got in front of him? Verse 15. Then the men went as a group to to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king, and I think we could add the word reluctantly there, the king reluctantly gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. I have two challenges today, and I have uh, four character traits of Daniel that I want to give you. And the first challenge is dare to be a Daniel. And maybe the more familiar song to most of us here is dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Yeah, more of you know that song? Maybe? All right, good. Well, there comes a time in our Christian journey that we must Be willing to stand against the mores of society. There will come a time when the laws of man are in direct violation to our understanding of what God wants for us. And it's in those times that we must stand with God. I want to begin to give you these four character qualities. And the first quality I see here is that Daniel has an excellent attitude. You see, he knew, and this has been a premise in much of our studies... Uh, The last few weeks, he knew that God is in control and he knew that God appoints and that whatever we have, whether positions or stuff, it's all from him. And so he learned to be thankful to God wherever he was and whatever he found himself in. And having this position gave him confidence in the Lord, but it also gave him strength when he needed to stand. Daniel yeah, he disregarded Darius' law, but he didn't do it out of rebellion. He didn't do it out of hate or anger. He disregarded it because he had a greater respect for the living God who he serves. And this is just part of who he is. Back in chapter one, we saw as a young man that he refused to defile himself with the food from the king's table. This is part of who he is. But everything he did, he did with great tact, he did with great respect. He did it because he wanted to influence other people to faith. And right here, thinking about attitudes, just the question, how's your attitude? We we look at the world, we look at the direction things are going, and does it mess you up? Does it knock you off your course? Or, Or do you just thank God that he's in control and that you have an opportunity to be an influencer in a difficult place and this is Daniel a great attitude second character trait that I noticed here is that he was faithful in his work I have a number of friends who employ people on a regular basis and it's very common to hear them say it's tough to find good help you ever hear that a common phrase in the workplace is while the cat's away the mice will play absolutely But Daniel was a guy that the owner of a business could give his keys to and have confidence that Daniel would run things as if it were his very own. Uh, I've had the privilege of of teaching uh, Colossians in several settings and in different classroom settings over the year, and it's amazing to me that you can pretty much expect when you get to Colossians 3.23 that it's gonna have great impact. And, And what does it say there? It says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, even in regards to bosses. So Daniel had a great work ethic. How's your work ethic? How do you do on the job? Is it just a means to provide, or do you have a greater vision that drives you? Okay. Uh, This week, I had the opportunity to teach a group of homeless uh, kids from uh, Denver and uh, in that, as I prepared for it, basically, it was about teaching them to be consistent, to be reliable in the workforce. And, and what I had to come to the conclusion of is that people who are consistent and who are re- reliable have a higher purpose that drives them than just the need to pay the bills. Yeah. So that's a big, big part of it. I don't know if they got it or not, <laughs> but I was glad for, for the opportunity. Number three. He practiced personal purity. That song I sang a moment ago, The Lord Like Daniel, because he could count on him, actually had three, two problems with it. One, it said that young Daniel, okay, the truth is, at this point, he's well into his 80s, all right? So the song has it wrong at that point. The other one is, it uses the word sin, okay? Now, you know, the day that I can stand before you and say, yeah, I'm without sin, I'll let you be the first to know. Okay, so, so whether or not Daniel was without sin, I can't answer that question. We like to talk about him that way, but the truth is he was without scandal in, in his life, and he didn't wear a mask. He wasn't a hypocrite, and, and what I find very interesting about that is in my years in the faith, one of the things that keeps people from the faith is they say, well, I don't want to go to church because it's full of nothing but, but hypocrites, But right here, Daniel proves to us that that is nothing more than an excuse. It's just a smokescreen and that you've got to be smaller than a hypocrite to hide behind one. And you say, "Well, well, how do you see that? Well, Daniel was the real deal. He walked with great integrity, but rather than that drawing the other people toward God, it pushed them away from God. And the truth is, is if people aren't willing to get honest before God, they'll come up with anything to argue with you. So it's pointless to try to argue with folks. But I think there's a challenge here to have a consistency between the things we say and how we do things, okay? Yeah, but our ultimate accountability is between us and God. We'll we'll get to that final character trait in just a moment, but I want to give you the second challenge of the morning, and, and it's this. If you're going to dare to be a Daniel, then you had better expect opposition. That's right. No sooner do, do we learn of the king's appreciation for Daniel that all of a sudden we find his peers in leadership trying to destroy them any way they could. They couldn't do it. They had him trailed. They had his computer hacked. You know, They're doing everything they can to find something wrong with this guy. But if you look at verse 4, it says they tried to bring charges against Daniel in order in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. And what we need to know is that when we choose to do the right thing and when we choose to do the God thing, there will be those who hate us, there will be those who try to destroy us for that very reason. In fact, I didn't bring the scripture with me on PowerPoint, but write it down. 2 Timothy 3.12. You know what that verse says? It says, Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. You ready to sign up for that? Huh? Yeah, I mean, today, if you prayed to receive Christ, if you gave your life to Christ... A moment ago, did you hear it? Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you know, wouldn't you rather me say, hey, come to Christ and you get membership at the local resort's got a swimming pool, got a slide, right? Yeah. Got all-you-can-eat buffet. It's all inclusive. Well, in this case, we'll be persecuted. Daniel is without scandal. But the story, the story here isn't about Daniel's glory, it's about God's glory, and we see it best in the way that Daniel responds to crisis. The crisis is the edict, back in uh, where it says, anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to Darius, shall be thrown into the lion's den. What is Daniel's NRM? NRM, natural response Mode. An edict is issued, you can't pray. Daniel immediately goes home, goes to his upstairs bedroom where the windows face toward Jerusalem, and he prays not just once, but he prays three times a day, giving God thanks, just as he has always done before. Nothing new here, right? Yeah, nothing new. Do you realize... There are three ways that you can respond to crisis. The first way is when crisis hits, you can panic. Right? How many of you would say panic is your NRM, your natural response mode? Anybody? Huh? Oh, come on. Get honest. Yeah, it, it tends to be my NRM, my natural response. The problem with Panic is that it's the wrong thing to do. It doesn't do us any good. In fact, Jesus said it over in Matthew 6, 27 when he said, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So panic is the wrong thing to do. A, a second thing you can do is you can become paralyzed. And, and when you can become paralyzed, you do nothing. <laughs> and when I wrote that, I was thinking about tickle wars as a kid. I said tickle. Did you hear it? Do any of you have tickle wars when you're a kid, huh? You ever have that over-dominating older sibling, right, that can hold you to the floor, right, and get you really going? And what's he saying? Cry uncle, <laughs> right? What are you going to do? You're locked up. You're paralyzed. You can do nothing. And so we can do that as a response. But the better way is we can trust God in prayer. Because while panic is the wrong thing and par- Being paralyzed is is to do nothing. Prayer becomes the power thing. Go back to verse 10 where it says, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel, prayer prayer wasn't a last resort. I'm blown away in the Christian faith when I say to somebody, I will pray for you, how many times people laugh? It's, It's almost like they're hearing me say, like, go buy a lottery ticket. Maybe you'll win. Right ha <laughs> ha, yeah, I'll go buy a lottery ticket. I want to get rich, I'll go buy the lottery a lottery ticket. I mean crisis, you're going to pray? <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll get lucky. No, that's not the way prayer works, right? Prayer was Daniel's practice because he believed it worked, and when crisis hit, he did the thing that he knew worked and it's important to notice that he prayed with thanksgiving because if you know around here we come back to philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 quite a bit where it says do not be anxious about anything right in fact the old king james says be anxious about how much nothing Nothing. so how much do we have permission to be anxious about (laughs) yeah do you hear it but Pray, well, let me read it from the NIV, but in everything, right? So how much are we to pray about? Everything by prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I love this, just hear it. Let it sweep over your soul and bring healing and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Daniel operated out of a prayer that surpasses understanding. But it's not about Daniel's glory. It's about God's glory. Because everything we do, everything we experience can be affected by prayer. And when panic causes us to do the wrong thing and paralysis causes us to do nothing, prayer energizes us to move forward. It infuses us with the power of God I mean, if you take panic and paralysis, both those things are robbing us of productive energy that could be used in excellent ways and for God's glory, right? But prayer infuses us with the power so we can move forward. It's the NRM. It's the natural response mode. Daniel was found guilty of praying. And as, as an application, if you were put on trial for prayer, would there be enough evidence that you would be found guilty? So, character quality number four. He practiced the presence of the Lord. And by the way, again, once in a while I just say this. Growing up, we didn't pause and pray at meals, okay? And I've told you the. The story of the Monsignor coming over. I'm not going to tell you that story today. But there was always panic in our house. And I just have to tell you, to pause and to recognize the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread, and here we sit and our meals provided today. Can we be grateful? Can we recognize that God is the supplier of all things? Can we at least do that? Can we look around the circle and be grateful for the people in our lives? Can we be grateful that we have this day? I just want to challenge you that if you're only bowing your heads and praying when the preacher's at your house, right, I'm not impressed. Yeah. Daniel practiced the presence of God. Did you notice that he prayed toward Jerusalem? Did you notice that? He prayed toward Jerusalem. Yeah, why? Why did he pray toward Jerusalem? He prayed toward Jerusalem because actually what he's doing is he's praying toward the temple. The temple at Jerusalem. And if you want to get more specific than that, he's praying toward the holiest of holy place in Jerusalem. Why? Because the holiest of holy place historically was known to be the place where God himself dwelled. It was a practice initiated by Solomon when the temple was built. Still today, if you go to Israel, if you go to the western wall, the big part that's been exposed, you see pictures all the time of this great big wall and these people dressed in black, praying against the wall, right? Sticking their prayer quests into the wall. Here we go. In fact, in archaeological digs, it's discovered that throughout history, typically synagogues are built in such a way that the prayers, wherever they are, are facing toward the temple. Interesting. Praying toward the presence of God. Now, interesting because over the years, the Western Wall has been buried by dirt. So at some point, I believe it was in the 1800s, a tunnel was dug the whole way underneath you know to get exposure to the western wall and in recent days even now there's new construction being done to open that tunnel even more so that you go through this tunnel and you actually come to the place in the tunnel where you're closest to the spot where just on the other side of the wall the holiest of holies used to be and there's a few people praying there and I find something very fascinating. How is it that the people who are outside praying against the Western Wall are praying in the position that they understand to be the closest place to the holiest of holies, yet everybody knows that because of this tunnel, there's actually a spot that you can get closer to the holiest of holies, and very few people are there. Why is it? Well... Because somewhere along the way, traditionally, the old outside spot has become the place to pray. While truth be known, if you want to be at the closest spot to where the holiest of holies is, you've got to go inside the tunnel. But don't we tend to choose our traditions over experiencing the presence of God? God help us to not be so blinded by what we're used to doing that we may be missing out on a greater opportunity. Now, in saying that, am I saying that there's anything significant about that spot along the wall, except historically? No, okay? (laughs) But the idea still holds true, so don't misinterpret what what we're saying right here. Uh, In fact, whenever we look up to heaven, and right here when I talk about looking up to heaven, people are going to say, yeah, but God's in us, we're his temple, so we just need to look right here, and that's true, okay? But doesn't it say in Colossians 3.1 that we are to set our affections on things above where Christ is seated on the throne? Okay? So, can I encourage you? Look up to the place where God dwells. He's with you, but you keep on looking up. That's right. So like Daniel, we need to practice prayer. We need to practice with thanksgiving. That needs to be our natural response mode. Let's go on. Let's go to verse 16. Verse <clears> 16. <throat> This king said to Daniel, and this is a prayer, a prayer by a pagan king, and I want you to notice how much it sounds like the prayer Daniel's friends prayed in Daniel chapter 3 when they said, the God we serve is able to save us. Look what the king says. He says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. It was a bad night. No television, no late night snacks or popcorn. Uh, He's really worried. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. Kings do not hurry, okay? This guy's genuinely concerned. The king hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. I, I find it interesting that Daniel's not anguishing, but the king is, all right? Daniel's got the peace that surpasses understanding. Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. This is known as trial by ordeal. Okay, You throw people into a lion's den. If they're not gobbled up, which they always are, then they must be innocent. Right? Somebody else must be guilty. If they are gobbled up, then the jury's in. They're guilty. All right? This is what we're talking about here. The same was true at the fire. If you throw them in the fire, they're always burned up. But if somehow they're not, they must be innocent. Trial by ordeal. Right? Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den... No wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. And this is horrible, but this is Persian law. This is not biblical law, all right? Don't get confused here. Along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. All right, so scholars want to argue those lions did not... Eat Daniel because Daniel wasn't hungry. What do you think? Huh? Yeah, it appears that he's hungry right here, obviously. And so, they, or they are. But we know an angel shut their mouths. Here we have Daniel, truly one of the great men of history. Had incredible faith, he had incredible courage, but truth be known. There are courageous devils out there. What causes Daniel to stand out is everything he does. He does uh, with, he does for the glory of God. He does with faith in God. And he does with incredible integrity. But guess what? Bummer of bummers, his right living gets him thrown into a den of lions. Did you catch it? His right living got him thrown into A den of lions. And and if you'll remember, back to chapter 3, when Daniel's buddies were thrown into the blazing furnace, I told you that there are three ways that God can respond to our prayers. Number one, He can deliver us from the fire. And we like that one best. God, blow the fire out. I don't want to go near it. He can do that. Secondly, He can deliver us Through the fire, and if you remember, this is where the bonds came off. They were tied up, and it's through the fire that we can be set free from the things that hold us back. But thirdly, we can be delivered by the fire straight into the arms of Jesus. They're all possibilities. In both stories, The men of faith are thrown into dangerous situations. One is thrown into, three are thrown into the fire. One is thrown into a den of lions. It makes you want to cry. Jesus, pay attention, right? But God doesn't always respond that way. And here's the deal, and here's what we need to hear this morning. You and I, right now, live in a lion's den. We're in the den at the moment. We are warned by Peter. Well, backing up to Timothy, right? If anyone desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted, right? But look at this one. This is 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Talking to believers. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. What? Did you read it? Believers all over the world are being persecuted by their faith. And the only way we will ever be able to stand is to stand strong in him. We need God's word, we need prayer, we need God's people, we need the Holy Spirit, because this is a dangerous place. But then you have to stop and you have to think, well, what would have happened if, if Daniel hadn't gone into the lion's den? Right? What would have happened? Well, think about it. He would have never seen God come through in the mighty way that God came through. Right, he would have never have experienced being thrown into a hurtful place and coming out unhurt. And I'm afraid too many of us are being scarred by the world because we're griping about the way the world is. Right, there wasn't a scratch found on him. We live above it. Third, uh, he would have never experienced an angel shutting the mouth, the mouths of these lions. And then fourth, I think this is my best one, my favorite one of all. He would have never have witnessed a pagan king, Darius, giving glory to God. Sometimes God's best work is seen in the midst of the fire. Can we thank God for the lions? Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I should decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominions will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. All right, I want to wrap up. But the first thing I want you to see is amazing to me. As we bring this to a close, the first thing I want you to see is in Daniel chapter 6, there are amazing comparisons between Jesus Christ and Daniel. Let me give you some of them. Are you ready for this? First, Daniel was accused by presidents and satraps, Jesus was accused by chief priests and elders. In both cases, both with Jesus and with Daniel, neither was found to have any corruption. In Jesus' case, we could use the word sin. Daniel was found to be guilty of the Medes and the Persians. Jesus was found to be guilty by the law of the Jews. Both found guilty by laws of men. And when we talk about laws of Jews, we're talking about extra scriptural laws that were being imposed, okay? Darius tried to rescue Daniel just as Pilate tried to rescue Jesus. The lion's den, and and you have to get a picture of a giant cistern that has two rooms separating it so the lions could be moved from one place to the other. This is why the king could not see Daniel, Okay, probably a small entrance that he was dropped into this place in. Uh, So the lion's den became a sort of tomb for Daniel and we all know that Jesus was placed in a tomb. It was a place of death. Both tombs were officially sealed and the reason they were sealed was to ensure that the person being placed inside that his situation could not be changed. In other words, nobody would mess with the edict that had been put in place. But friends, God is in the business of changing unchangeable circumstances. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you better believe it. Both tombs were approached by loved ones early in the morning, and both Jesus and Daniel were found to have defeated death. And the last one, in the end, Daniel prospered greatly and Jesus was given authority in heaven and in earth. But Jesus is greater than Daniel, right? So listen to this. In Daniel's situation, he never died. In Jesus' situation, he died and he rose again. In Daniel's situation, he rose from the tomb only to again or only to die later but Jesus rose from death never to die again <laughs> In Daniel's case he prospered during the reign of Darius but in Jesus case he reigns forever thus he prospers forever and ever and ever along with those who choose to follow him Then the last one The fact that Daniel survived the lions has become an encouragement to Jewish people throughout history, but Jesus' resurrection from the dead has become the first fruits of all who will believe. The reason I share this with you is because Daniel becomes a giant arrow for all who will believe and says, All eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Daniel encourages us to keep our eyes on Jesus even when it means going against the laws of the land. Daniel encourages us to keep our eyes on Jesus even in the midst of persecution. Even those people we thought were closest to us may persecute us. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Application, may Daniel remind us that even those who throw us into the lion's den they're watching us and the very by very the very virtue of the act that they're throwing us into the lion's den may become a witness to them that causes them to fall on their knees before God and call on the name of Jesus Christ dare to be a daniel dare to stand with God, dare to have a purpose firm, (laughs) and dare to make it known. Wow. Wow. Next week, we begin prophecy. We get a big picture of world history and why we can have confident assurance in whatever may be coming in the days ahead. So we're going to proceed. Let's pray.